Let's pray. Well, thank you for children. Well, thank you for that song, Lord. It's been used in many different versions throughout the centuries to remind us of, of the beauty of Jesus, the fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all the nations, son of God, son of man. But I pray that, that the young ones would know him and know him deeply as Lord, Savior, and as friend. Bless them today as they're instructed. Lord, Lord, as we interact here in your word upstairs in the sanctuary, I pray you would meet us. We would again, we would also come to know more about it means to know you as Lord and Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, that our life is in your hands and that we're yours by faith. Lord, meet us uh, during these moments as we, as we proclaim your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to our worship service, our second worship service. If you're here for the first time, we want to greet you in the name of Christ. And um, <clears throat> we're in a sermon series that started last week, uh, the New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at, at uh, Philippi, the Philippians. And uh, we're in the first chapter. Our series is called Fighting for Joy, Fighting for Joy. And joy is a fight. You see the boxes there. You have to fight for joy. Last week, Pastor Craig opened up this first 11 verses talking about uh, Paul's thankfulness, his prayer of thankfulness there, and, and uh, his affectionate heart towards them, and his desire that love would abound in, uh, through that body of, of believers. This is a church that he planted. Paul planted that church in Acts chapter 16. We can review, review the, that passage. Um, he loved them, and they loved uh, him. There was a great mutuality. In fact, they had supported him in ministry uh, as he was going around in a missionary journey. And, and this, in one sense, is a response letter to their, their generosity. In chapter 4, we'll probably see that later on. Response to their generosity, and as, as well as this letter is, a, is his response to some of the reports he's heard about things going on at Philippi. Now, but Paul is, is no longer uh, running around the empire. He's now in, in Rome. He's now in prison at Rome. We heard the scripture reading earlier, which we'll allude to several times. He was writing in, in a Roman prison, sort of a house arrest situation. He's chained to a guard. He's in prison. Now, sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're in prison, don't we? Not a literal prison, but we feel in prison. We feel bound. We feel chained. We feel restricted. Uh, sometimes parents feel they want some freedom, just a little bit of freedom, maybe from a, particularly from a, a child that's wayward and is, is struggling. You just wish you could, could just be free of that sometimes. Sometimes children who have parents that are just on their back all the time, they wish they could just be free of them. People feel like sometimes they're imprisoned. Sometimes at work, people feel like, you know, I, I, my boss is just getting on my nerves. I wish I could just be free of them, but you can't quit your job right now. You got to get, you know, you, gotta, you need your money. But sometimes you just feel like you're in bondage, like you're in chains. Sometimes it's a bad relationship that you just, somehow you can't get, get, can't get out of that relationship. Feeling in bondage, chained, imprisoned. Feeling like life just isn't the way you want life to be, and you can't get it the way you want it to be. Sometimes that oppression, that bondage, those chains are internal, something on the inside, something that you can't figure out, something that has happened in your past that you can't get rid of, something in your heart, bondage. It could be a bad habit that you can't break. <clears throat> Chains, being bound. You're in, are you experiencing any kind of a prison? What kind of prison are you experiencing today? Maybe you are. Well, the Apostle Paul's in a literal prison in our passage today. He's, he's literally in prison. He's in house arrest. He doesn't have the freedom to go about 
as he has had previously. And yet, though he is bound, he expresses over and over and over again in the book of Philippians, joy, joy. And that same kind of joy is available for us in our prison, in our prisons. We, we, but we will never experience that joy until we take our eyes off of our chains and look to the Lord, the one who can turn obstacles into opportunities. Because that's what he does in, with Apostle Paul. His, the, the chains are an obstacle in one sense, but Paul turns them into an opportunity and he rejoices in the Lord. Our passage is Philippians 1, 12 to 30. Let's, let's stand. I'm going to read this passage of God's holy, inerrant word as the word of God from Paul to Philippians, God's word to us this morning. ESV translation, it's on the overhead. Follow along with me. <clears throat> I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord of my, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, choose, I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Amen. God's word. You may be seated. Gospel joy. Gospel joy. Look, no matter what circumstance we have, we can experience joy in Christ. We can experience joy in the gospel of Christ. But most of the time, to experience that joy, we've got to fight for it. We've got to fight. In a fallen, broken world, you've got to fight for the joy. Gospel joy. Gospel is, the gospel is given to us in 1 Corinthians 15. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this world. He, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for us. He, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into the heavens to dispense salvation to all who will call on his name. That is the gospel. 
the gospel of Paul, the gospel of God, our gospel. Gospel joy. Joy. And and I'm going to use Craig's definition from last week. Joy is a continuous, defiant, nevertheless hope that we have in Christ. It's the continuous, defiant, nevertheless hope that we have in Christ. Now, I like the definition. We often confuse happiness with joy. Joy has nothing to do with what happens. It's not happiness. Happiness deals with what happens, with our circumstance, with the things that are going on. But joy should go beyond that. Joy looks more deeply at that. Joy looks at, at the hope we have in Christ. And that, so that nevertheless, ne- despite what happens, we can have the peace and, 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 and the contentment that Jesus Christ gives us as sons and daughters. It is not circumstantial. It is knowing and affirming that we're sons and daughters of the living God who will take care of us. Gospel joy. I'm going to talk today about the joy of proclaiming the gospel, the joy of resting and living in the gospel, and the joy even of suffering for the gospel. The Apostle Paul in this passage gives us. First, the joy of proclaiming the gospel, the proclaiming the gospel. Verses 12 to 18, the gospel, he says in verse 12, is being advanced. It's being, it's being extended. Now again, the context. Paul is in prison. He's in house arrest situation. We saw Acts 28. He has freedom to preach. but uh, He's preaching the, the, the kingdom of God and the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, but he's, he, he's in prison and waiting trial. It's, he was there for two years. You saw the end of that passage. For two years, Paul. This was the first imprisonment of Paul. He was released. He eventually returned to Rome, was in another kind of prison, which was a dirty, dungy prison, and he did not escape. He lost his head. He was beheaded for the, for the gospel during the second imprisonment. But this is the first two-year imprisonment where he has freedom to write, freedom to, to, to have people coming in and out to share the gospel. And, and the interesting thing about this passage is, is, is you talk, he talks about um, the whole, the, the, become, the gospel become known throughout the whole imperial guard. What's, what's going on? Imagine that you are part of the imperial guard. Now, the imperial guard was a, was, was a, was a, a special unit system. It's just special units people of the of the, the, the emperor in Rome. There were about ten thousand of them, and, and they were to protect the emperor and protect the palace. They were they were the special the, the SWAT team, the, the highest, most highly trained uh, um, um, soldiers of that of the day of the Roman Empire. The fi- uh, high high uh, the secret service, the fighting unit that was highly trained, special ops. And imagine that you're one of them, and your assignment for the day is I don't know five, six, seven hours to be chained to the Apostle Paul. That's your assignment. The Apostle Paul, the one who goes from town to town, city to city, throughout the empire, preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And powerfully people come to him. And, and, but, and, and so maybe you don't believe that message, but you're chained to Paul. That's your assignment. Well, if you're an evangelist like Paul, you're just saying, okay, I have, a, I have an audience here. I mean, maybe you've had the experience of doing evangelism and sharing with, with a person, and they just say, nope, don't want to hear it, and they walk away. They, nope, that's okay, slam the door. You know, they, they don't want to hear what you have to say. Well, these guards couldn't do that. They're chained to Paul. One hour, two hours, day after day, they're assigned to Paul. And what happened? They started coming to Christ, and, 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 and 
A revival broke out, and, 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 and those in Rome would hear about what's going on. That this crazy prisoner, Paul, from, from, from Tarsus, is in, is in the prison, and he's talking to the imperial guard, and they're coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel is being advanced behind bars. Paul is starting a prison ministry. But not only that, he says that, that even beyond, the rest of Rome is knowing about his imprisonment. And so, and so Paul's, Paul's passion in the book of Romans, when he couldn't get to Rome yet, was to go to Rome and do ministry. God eventually sends him to Rome in chains. But here he is in Rome. He's behind bars. He can't preach in synagogues. He can't preach in the squares. But he can preach in prison. And his ministry in prison expands. And Rome hears about the message of Christ through what Paul is doing. The gospel is advancing beyond even the prison. The gospel is also advancing, look, despite the poor attitudes of some of the other preachers of Rome, some of the other uh, minister leaders of the, of the church in Rome. Look at verses 15 to 18. Look, look, look at what's going on there. Paul talks about their attitudes. He says uh, they look at Paul and their envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. They're insincere. He's talked about the other leaders of the church. Maybe they were saying Paul can't be legitimate because he's in prison. Maybe it was as simple as that. I don't know. But they're slamming Paul. What's amazing is his attitude towards that. Look at it. He doesn't go negative. He doesn't have a pity party. Because all he cares about is the truth being proclaimed. The truth of the gospel. He wants to know that people are hearing the word of God accurately, and they are. If some of the preachers have wrong motives in their proclamation, Paul says, that's okay. If some of the preachers don't like him and say that Paul's a, a, a fake, that's okay. As long as the gospel gets out clearly, Paul's happy. God will deal with them and their attitudes. Paul says, as long as the gospel gets out, I will rejoice. What an attitude. What an attitude. Now, there are two things I want us to see before we move on. One, one is a caution, but then an encouragement. Here's the caution. The caution is that we do want to preach the gospel correctly. We do want the gospel to be accurately explained. And so does Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, Look, if, if me or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. So Paul is very concerned about the accuracy of what is preached. That's why he's rejoicing, because the gospel is being preached accurately, even though the motives might not be pure. The attitudes, the relationships might not be all that they should be with him. That's the caution. The gospel must be, we want to be accurate in our proclamation of God's word. But here's the encouragement. When the gospel is, in, is proclaimed accurately, we should rejoice no matter what the, 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 who the messenger is. If the core truths of the scriptures are being uh, proclaimed accurately, we should rejoice like, like the Apostle Paul does. I mean, if, if the person proclaiming doesn't wear your label, if they're, if they're a Baptist and you're not, and they preach the word of God accurately, praise God. If they're even the assembly of God uh, and they preach the word of God accurately, you praise God. Luther and Methodist, even Presbyterians can preach the word of God accurately. And you, and you rejoice. Because all you want to know is that the gospel is being proclaimed and people are hearing it and people have the opportunity of coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In the book of Luke, in the gospels, there was a, there's a situation where Jesus is traveling and John 
John the Beloved says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. What was he? He's not part of our tribe. He's not part of our denomination. He's not part of our group, Jesus. So we tried to stop him. What did Jesus say? Do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Do you hear that? Do you catch that? So yes, we want the gospel proclaimed accurately. And if it's proclaimed accurately by someone who's not part of your group, that's okay. That's the heart of Paul. That should be our heart. As we, we want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed throughout the world. This weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, we've been praying again for Memorial Day, as we heard earlier. And I was thinking about 1 Timothy chapter 2. It talks about the authorities that God has given and pray for authorities God has given. And he says that it might go well with us, that there may be peace in the land, and that people can therefore come to know Jesus Christ, who's the only mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 2. So we should be praying for those who are protecting us, who charge to protect us from danger. It's an important calling. The, the, the army and the Air Force and the, the Marines, the Navy, the, uh, the officials in the Pentagon, the reserves, the, the, the commander-in-chief, we should be praying for them that they will do their job well, that there may be peace, that there may be the opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed in our land. And pray for military chaplains, please. M many of them are facing difficult decisions during this generation uh, because of some of the military protocol changes that are taking place over the last few years. Pray for the families of troops as well. It's difficult, very difficult, to say goodbye to loved ones for, for months and months while they're on the front lines. And if, you, if you see someone in uniform, encourage them. They need encouragement. Tell them thank you. Find out, if, find out in a subtle way, if you can, you know, what, what their story is and share the gospel with them. They need, the, they, need the, they need the peace and security. If they're in the front lines, they need to know that they have a future because you never know what's going to happen. But we, want, we need to be people who are seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I saw an interesting article uh, by, about, uh, by Ed Stetzer, who's um, a Christian researcher. He was, he was analyzing movements in our, in our country and talked about the changing nature of the religious commitments in America. It's very helpful. He said that the, we have, there, there are two labels of people that are, that are unbelievers or in our, that, are, that, are, that are in churches or not in churches, but that we need to reach. A growing, one is, is what, what we call the nominals. Those who are, are, are nominally connected to the church, they have tried the Christian faith, and they're still kind of connected, but they've modified their understanding of orthodoxy. They're not, they, they, have a, they have a different view of, 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 of the scriptures and and they see God as the source of good things in life, but not necessarily the only source of eternal life, Stetcher says. He says these people need a taste of authentic Christianity that's seen in the life of a community of genuine people. Those are the nominal people of nominal faith. And then he says there are people who are just secularists. They're secular. This is the fastest growing group in the English-speaking world, secular people. They claim no connection to God at all. Many have been raised in, in, in a post-Christian 21st century. And they see the biblical gospel, the Christian worldview, or the Christian church as totally irrelevant and even, for some, absurd. And, and the, his, the vocabulary of historic Christian thinking is like a foreign language to them. Stetcher's main point was that 
When someone is nominal, you have to reach them a certain way. When they're a secularist, they reach a totally different way. We have to be strategic in how we reach people, understand where they're coming from, who they are, so that as we advance the gospel, we can have success really hearing people, really ministering to people. If, 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 by the way, if, if you're a secularist or moving in that direction, um, I, the, the simplest thing I can say to you is, is what Jesus said. Come and see. Come and see. Continue to check out what the church and what Jesus Christ is all about. It may seem strange to you, but it is very real. In fact, not only is it real, it's true. It's true, true, true. Jesus saves, Jesus gives peace, Jesus gives purpose, Jesus Christ gives assurance for those who desperately need it, which is all of us. The second thing in the text is the joy of resting in the gospel, of trusting Christ, of resting in the gospel. Verses 19 to 26. Here we see first Paul's confidence in verses 19 to 20. He's confident, he's confident that things are going to turn out for his deliverance, his salvation or deliverance, same word. He points to two things, the prayers of the saints who've been praying for him in prison and also the help of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is, is kind of ministering to his heart. He wants the strength to, to carry him through no matter what occurs, even if somehow he's found guilty. He says, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be delivered. If I even have to pay the ultimate price, I'll be delivered. He wants to finish strong. He doesn't want to be ashamed no matter what happens. He wants Christ to be exalted through him. In his mind, it is not about him. It's about Christ. In verse 20, he says that Christ will be honored in my body. Literally, that's uh, the word magnified, to, to magnify. That Christ will be magnified in my, my body, my flesh. Magnify. Magnification. We think of two things. I think two things come to my mind. One is, 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 is a microscope. You know, a microscope, you're looking, at, you're looking at something that's very, very small, and that, that microscope helps to enlarge it so that you can see what it is. Very small and it's enlarged. But that's not what he's thinking about here. He's thinking more about a telescope here. Now why? Because a telescope, you look way out into the distance in the universe, and there's something that is humongous, but it looks real small. And that telescope, you look into it, and it begins to look big enough that you can see it. When we're told to magnify the Lord, <laughs> we are enlarging someone who is incredibly huge, incredibly omnipotent, omniscient, the omni one, the almighty one who is large, but he's far off. And, 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 and we need to, to know his nearness and see his nearness more clearly. And so when the scriptures talk about magnifying the Lord, it's, it's making him appear larger to us because we have, we have a small, we, we tend to have a very small view of who our God is. Paul, we see Paul's passion here. He wants to magnify the Lord through his life. Also, we see Paul's, I want to talk for a while about his hope. Verses 20 to 23, the essence of this section is, is his hope. The hope he has. He lays it out very clearly. He says, whether by life or by death, to live is Jesus Christ. He's, he's resting, he's trusting in Christ. He says, whether it's to continue in my ministry to the churches or to go to the guillotine, I want Christ to be, be honored I want to rest in Christ. I want to trust in him. Now, Paul is hopeful, but he's not assuming that he'll be released. So he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is better. It's an interesting phrase. Look, in our Western culture, we don't talk much about death. Paul's talking about death here. In fact, we don't even like to talk about aging. 
But we sure think a lot about it, don't we? We think a lot about death. And here we see the, the thoughts of a man who knows that he would be facing death or martyrdom, that he could be. He sort of begins to think out loud. Let's watch him as he thinks in verses 22 and following. He says two things. He says there's two options. To depart and be with Christ or to remain on earth and keep serving others. The word depart, the original language is used for a soldier breaking camp. I'm ready to break camp to move on to my next destination. To depart and be with Christ or to remain and serve. Let's look carefully at this sense of Paul's, Paul's hope. I want to say two things that he's not saying and then two things that he is saying. First, two things he's not saying. Paul is not talking about a universal hope that everybody has. Look carefully what he says. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now, why does Paul say for me? How does he have this hope? How does he have this confidence? What is the basis of it? Is it because he's a human being and all human beings have that hope? I don't think so. It's because he's a religious human being and all religious people have that hope. I don't think so. It's because he's a religious professional. He's an apostle. And only apostles have that hope. I don't think that's what's going on. What is the basis of Paul's hope? His hope is in Christ alone. What Christ has done. That's his confidence. And that should be our confidence. And we, we confessed it as we sang the song. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. The cornerstone, the solid rock, ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, he's my comforter, my all in all. Here, in the love of Christ, I stand. He's, he, he has this confidence because he is in Christ. Because Christ has died for his sins. Not because he's a preacher. Not because he's an apostle, not because he's religious, not because he thinks real hard that he ought, he wants, because Christ has died for his sins. And that's the source of all of our hope, isn't it? That's the source of assurance for every single one of us who has hope in Christ. It's not a universal hope. People need to come to know Jesus Christ. The second thing about this hope, it's, it's not the kind of hope that the existentialists have. The existentialists, you know, are those philosophers, and, and I don't understand totally, but I know this. Existentialism, if you're really into it, if you really understand it, you, you're hopeless, and you believe that the only way you can really exercise real power in the universe is suicide. Now, that, to be a pure existentialist, that's, that's where it takes you. Now, I don't want you to look at his words as that kind of a hope, because if you're confused and you're down, you might do that. He, he's saying, for me to life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not being existential, an existentialist here. He's not condoning homicide or infanticide or suicide or euthanasia. He's not saying that death is to prefer to life, therefore we kill people, we kill ourselves. That's not what he's saying. Well, look, this is a very difficult topic. I'm going to talk about suicide for just a few minutes. And I don't want Paul's words or my words to be confused, to take somebody over the edge. Because suicide is a major problem in our world, in our nation. Emory University statistics, uh, there are 94 attempts each day. And there's one successful suicide every 38 seconds. It's tragic. People who come to the end of themselves. Each year more people die by suicide than by homicide. Homicide, there are 18,000 plus. 
suicide, 34,000 plus in the United States, almost twice as many. How tragic. I'm sure many of you know someone who has considered it. Maybe some of you who have successfully done it. Maybe some of you have, have attempted. Tragic. I want, to, I want to share a few things from the scriptures. I don't have a lot of time. We could talk the rest of the sermon about this. But I want you to, 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 to know a couple of things. One, that, that it is never God's solution to the strain and, and, and suffering that you feel, the pressure, the pains of life. That is never God's solution to take your life. I want you to know that the, the fall has impacted us all. The, the fall has impacted the, the world in complicated ways. And, and, and sometimes the suffering that we, that we experience, is it, 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 we don't even understand that kind of suffering. And we know that sometimes that, that medicine helps a lot. And we need to know we don't understand it. Use medicine. And in, when it comes to depression, it's been found medicine helps a lot for certain types of medicine, for certain types of, of despair and, and despondency. But you need to understand that suicide, it, it, it violates the sixth commandment. Don't, don't murder. You know, you, Murdering yourself, you, you're, you're, you're commanded not to, not to kill, not to murder. It violates the command to love your neighbor. You know, when, when a person does this, they leave behind many who mourn. And for those people, life is never the same. It's not loving those that you love. It's, it's a very selfish act. That's why the existentialists focus on it. It, con it considers your pain as more important than the pain of other people. Ultimately, suicide is a selfish act. Those who remain behind are left with sadness and anger and don't, don't know what to do about that. Because at one minute they're sad and at you, and another minute they're angry at you. It's a very selfish act. But it says, my pain is more important than your pain. You know, it's, we should, it's hard to compare people's pain, but, but there's an old, old proverb that says, I felt discouraged because I had no shoes until I saw the man who had no feet. Sometimes we think more of our pain and suffering than, than we probably should. But it's real to us when we go through dark times. You know, it's also for the believer, it's a horrible witness. Think about it. To the world around us, you're saying ultimately that God, your God isn't big enough to handle your situations. He's not big enough, he's not loving enough to solve your crisis and give you grace to endure but there's two positive things I want to say that he's saying. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's hope involves an instant transition. He doesn't say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is sleeping in the ground until the last day when my soul will finally be saved during the day of judgment and resurrection. That's not what he says. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He has the assurance that when he leaves this place, he will be with Jesus. Just as Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Just as the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 8 to 9. That is the hope of, the, of believers. You know, when I was in college, I didn't believe this. I, 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 I kind of chucked my Baptist background and said, I'm going to study the Bible purely. What does the Bible say about all these things? And, and I'd come to the position that when you die you, your soul and your body are, are sleeping until Jesus comes in the second coming and then you're in heaven. That's what I believe. Because that's what I thought scripture teaches. Some people teach that. And I'll never forget two guys in our intervarsity group 
And what, what, I, what I forget is that these two guys that I seldom believed, we, never, we seldom agreed about anything other than the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But they, but they said, look, you're wrong. Let's talk about this. And they showed me some scriptures, and this was the key one that made me change, made a shift in my heart. <clears throat> that to be absent from the body was to be with the Lord. Because he, he said, for me to live as Christ and to die is not going to sleep. To die is, to, is, is gain. It's better. Well, to me, sleeping for a couple decades, a couple hundred years, is not better than being alive with Christ, being alive here on earth. I said, no, it's got it. So that, was, that, that sold me on the idea that when a believer passes on, he meets his, his maker. He meets the Lord in the, in the great joy, the hope that we have. Pete Kipley sings a song that we've done here in our church. I can only imagine what it'll be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence to my knees while I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to even speak at all? I can only imagine. The other thing I want you to see about Paul's hope here, it's a real hope in the midst of real pains. The real pains of the real world. There's some who try to minimize people's pains. I don't want to do that. He's, the, the, hope, the pain and suffering of this world are real. In fact, there's, there's, there's kind of a pattern. We go from having dreams, uh, hopes, and, and then when they're unfulfilled, we feel it discouraged. In fact, we, if we can even become depressed. In our depression, we can give way to the start of death. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that there are very few people who have all their dreams fulfilled on earth. God never intended for us to have all our dreams fulfilled on earth. See, this earth is fallen. We live in a sin-cursed world. And life is tough. Have you found that out yet? And, and, and here's good news for you young people. Once you get past your prime, it gets tougher. Do I hear amen from some of the folk like me? Life's tough. You have to fight for this thing called joy. You know, you, you have children who don't do as you've told, they've told, they who stray. You have parents who, who move on to be with God, hopefully. You have health concerns that happen slowly but surely, hopefully, maybe sometimes draft, maybe sometimes quickly. Life gets tougher and tougher as the years go on. The world is falling. Yes, it stinks. And the scriptures allow us to, to, re, just to, re, to say that. Look at the Psalms. I'm just looking at Psalm 77. The, the psalmist talks about the, light, the, the, the darkness of the soul. Not, he's talking about describing a prison experience of, of just, God, where are you, God? In the day of trouble, I, I want you, Lord, come to me. I, I want some insight. I want some help here. I want some, to know what's going on. Has your steadfast love forever ceased? Are your promises to an end going to end? Have you forgotten to be gracious? The, the, the dark night of the soul. Then in verse 10 of Psalm 77, yeah, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm going to appeal to the Lord. In, in his pain, in his prison, he goes to the Lord. And in the rest of the psalm, from verses 11 to 20, he talks about God's ways, about, about God's power, about God's love, about God's sovereign hand guiding him and guiding his people through the ages. But the scriptures allow us to realize that the, the, the earth, as we know it, is painful. It's tough, and yet we have God in the midst of it to help us to endure. And Paul shows us that. And as the passage goes on, 
as we see him fighting for, for joy. In verse 25, 22 to 25, we see Paul's reason for hope staying around is because he's, he has a commitment to the progress and the joy of other people. That's what keeps him excited about staying here and fighting the fight. The progress and joy of others. When one is weak, others can be strong for them. See, because Paul's dilemma is, do I want to remain in the flesh or do I want to go be with Jesus? And for me, I'd rather be with Jesus, but you guys need me here. And so he does the selfless thing. He says, I, 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 I will stay here to serve, to help the progress of, of the saints and joy of the saints. The third and last thing in the passage is verses 27 to 30. He continues to explain his concern for the saints there and talk about the hope that he has. He talks about growth in the gospel, growth in the gospel, living in a manner of life that's worthy. This is what we call being a grace-filled disciple of Jesus Christ, living a worthy life, the walk of prayerful humility and, and under repentance, depending on the Spirit of God, knowing that without him you can do nothing. This is letting the word of Christ grow richly in your hearts. Paul wants to, to, to hear about their unity and about their oneness, standing firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Koinonia, partnering, fellowship, verse 27. And then he reminds them that, that they can joyfully suffer for the gospel. Look at what he says, verse 29. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You know, there's some who believe that when you come to Jesus, it's all going to be great. There's some who say, Jesus suffered for you on the cross so that you don't have to suffer. That's their logic. I don't, think, I don't know what Bible they're reading. It has been granted not just to believe, but to suffer, is what the scriptures say. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. There's a cross for me, that old spiritual. The African theologian of the, of the second century, Tertullian, made a statement that's become very famous. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Despite suffering through the ages, Jesus is building his church. And even there's suffering in our world today as believers are being persecuted today. And we need to pray that through that, people will stand firm and stand strong and the church will thrive and grow despite what Satan does to try to, to stop the church of God. You know, every generation, there, there are issues that surface that become defining issues in society. In, Luther, in Martin Luther's day, the issue was how can a person be justified or put right with God? Justification was the issue. The church's answer was that it was by faith plus works. Luther's answer, no. Justification was, was, was by faith alone. And, 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 and he suffered for that. And many of the reformers suffered for that. Dr. Martin Luther King, in his time, the defining issue was not justification, but justice. In his classic letter from a Birmingham jail, he responded to those who wondered why he came from Birmingham, Alabama. He came to Birmingham since he was an outsider from Georgia. And here's what he writes. I'm, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the Apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of the Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. 
Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. In the next paragraph, he makes a famous statement. Uh, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Likewise, the Apostle Paul understood the interrelatedness of his ministry to the churches that were outside, that, 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 that suffering is part of what the church is called to. Maybe not every church at every time, but the church is called to serve and to grow in the face in spite of suffering. What, what are the issues in our day? Well, one issue that, that, that I think is, is profoundly important is, is defining what is the scope of the gospel. Is Jesus the Savior sent for all people? Or is he just a Savior? Is he a local Savior? Or is he a universal Savior? Is he one who saves and, and is the only one name in which we can find salvation so all must come to him? Or is it he's just a local Savior? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Salvation for everyone. We need to fight for the gospel in our day. Are you winning the fight for joy? Are you winning the fight for joy is the question. Now, how do you fight for joy? How do you fight for joy? Hebrews 12 tells us, we looked at Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. On the cross, Jesus has not experienced a lot of comfort, but there was joy that helped him to, 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 to endure his pain and suffering. And of course, that joy is you and I and the church. We are saved because of what he experienced. His sacrifice, his selfless gift for us. So we need to turn our eyes to Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fight for joy, joy, J, Jesus. Oh, others, why you? Those are God's priorities. And if you understand God's priorities, that, that first is Jesus, that Christ is our life, as, he, as Paul says in Colossians 3, that, 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 that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ is our life. We're in union with him, vital union with the Son of the living God, Jesus first, and then others, that there's others who need to know this Christ, that there are lost people in our world who need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we need to spend our lives for them that the gospel might be advanced. We've seen Amazing Grace, the last verse, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. The the question is, in 10,000 years, where will our friends and loved ones be? Does that grip you? Does that grip us? Jesus, others, and then you. That's what it means. That's that's the heart of Paul. That should be all of our heart. We we spend ourselves. It's not about us. It's about the glory of Christ and the will of Christ. Let me close just with a crazy story that, that, that happened in, in Luke chapter 10. Jesus sent the disciples out on a mission trip to go and proclaim the kingdom and, and do the deeds of the kingdom. They went, they had a lot of success, and they came and they were excited. It was debriefing time, okay? They were excited that, that they preached and people came to, to believe the Messiah. They, they, they healed people and they cast out demons. The demons obeyed them. That blew them away. And so they, they, and so, and so they were high-fiving each other. Lord, Lord, the demons, listen to us. They, they heard our words, and in your name, we cast them out. And Jesus has a little discussion with them right there. He says, he says, don't, he says don't get so excited that demons uh, uh, listen to you, that you have power over demons. 
you need to just be excited that your name is written in heaven. Because there was a time when, when there was a, a, a man that had a, a son with demons, and they couldn't do a thing. They, 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 they prayed, the, the demon wouldn't come out. And Jesus, they said, Jesus, help us. We can't help this guy. He says, Jesus says, this only time only come out through, through prayer and fasting, some translations. But they, they failed. See, our, our, our tendency is to get excited when we succeed and down when we fail. We tend to be committed to circumstance so much, don't we, in our lives. And Jesus would just remind us in those times when we fail, in those times when we gloriously succeed, he brings a gentle reminder this is the thing to be excited about. That your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. That's what Paul wants us to know. For me to live is Christ. That's what it's about. Sometimes I feel good. Sometimes I feel bad. But life is about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. But we think of what it would have been like to, to have known the Apostle Paul personally, and just, just watched him as your servant sold out for you. Lord, he's a model for many of us. Lord, I pray that as we ponder what it means to walk with you in our day, Lord, we would trust that you are our life, and that as we cling to you, Lord, we can find joy, even in the midst of the prisons that we experience, the chains we experience, Lord. I would pray for anyone here, Lord, Lord today, who needs to know your grace. Lord, I'm reminded of... of of the words of Paul, to believe with the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Lord, that's all. It's as simple as that. That we believe in you and trust you every single day of our lives and walk in that trust. But seal this word in our hearts. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.